If you are joining us for the first time today, here at Southside Bible Fellowship, we believe that the Bible is God's word. And since everyone that believes in Jesus Christ is a child of God, we believe that the Bible is God's word for us. The Bible is God's word for us. And with that, please turn with me to Matthew, Mark chapter 10, sorry. Mark chapter 10. I did Matthew in the morning with the youth class. Mark is in the New Testament, right after the book of Matthew. If you're in Mark chapter 10, say amen. amen. Please pray with me. Father, we come before you this morning again, Lord, knowing that you are here with us knowing that your Holy Spirit is present. And Lord, we are gathered here because of you. We want to exalt you. And as we look into your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit may guide us and teach us, and that, Father, you may accomplish what you intend to accomplish in this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Mark chapter, seven, chapter 10 from verse 17, Jesus, we are told, is on his way. I will read with you and I'll be making some comments as we go through. As Jesus started on his way, Mark 10 from verse 17, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher. He asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus is on his way with his disciples, and this man comes running to him. And we are told in Matthew that this man was young, but he was also rich, and he was a ruler. He was probably one of the rulers of the synagogues. He was a leader. But he comes to Jesus, and he he falls on his knees and he asks Jesus a very important question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He, he comes to Jesus saying, I want to be saved. What is it that I need to do? And Jesus first tells him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So Jesus is saying, if you are calling me good, you are calling me God. Is, is that what you mean? Are you, are you confessing that I am God? Because no one is good except God alone. So he lays that foundation there, that principle. 
Now we know in New England, sometimes when you are asked, how are you, your, your response is, I'm good. <laughs> you are not. <laughs> we are all broken. And then Jesus proceeds to give the man the religious requirements of the time. He says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Do you know them? This, this is what people were expected to keep. Now, they didn't understand that God had given the commandments to reveal our own weaknesses and our need for him. They didn't know that the commandments were given to point us to God. But Jesus, he first gives him what is expected. And this rich young ruler says, teacher, all this I have kept since I was a boy. This young rich ruler went to Sunday school. He attended Awana, for those of you who know Awana. He memorized scriptures. I have kept all this. But here is the point. Despite the fact that he had kept the commandments or rather he had tried to keep them, something was still missing in his life. And he knew it. He knew that there was something lacking in his life. That's why he came to Jesus. There was a, in his life, there was a God-shaped vacuum that his wealth couldn't fill. There was an emptiness that's why he's asking Jesus, what can I do to inherit eternal life? What can I do to fill this God-shaped vacuum in me? You see, every person knows when they don't have God in their lives. Because that emptiness cannot be filled by anything. We can try to fill it with drugs and alcohol and other stuff. But we will continue to be restless without Christ. All this I have kept since I was a boy. And this is the part that I like. Jesus, he, he looks at him lovingly. He, he kind of admires him, his effort. This guy is an achiever. He gets what he wants when he wants it. That's why he's rich. Jesus looks at him and loves him. And he tells him, there's one thing you lack. The most important. Then he says, 
This is one of the verses you want to pass, you know, you want to, <laughs> you don't want to read it, you just want to go to the next one, but I'm not going to do that. He says, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Remember Jesus said earlier, no one is good ex except God. Actually pointing to himself. If you're calling me good, you're calling me God. And remember this rich ruler came to Jesus wanting to know what needs to be done. And now Jesus tells him, go sell everything you have. That includes what you have in storage that you don't use. It includes what you have in the attic. You know, Jesus is telling this young man that I am eternal life. It is found in me. He's telling him that everything else you have will not help you. You need me. Go sell everything. This passage is not about having concern for the poor. It's about turning from our self-centered life to Jesus. It's about turning away from our own self-sufficiency to the one who is sufficient. Go sell everything is an invitation. Jesus is saying, if you truly want this, if you truly desire to inherit eternal life, then you must realize that everything else is unnecessary. And we are told that this, the man's face fell. There was a, a progressive darkening on his face. He went away sad because he had great wealth. At that moment, he chose his wealth and rejected Christ. This is the beginning of our new series, Encounters with Jesus Christ. This is one encounter that uh, someone rejected Jesus in instead of accepting him and be impacted by that relationship. He went away in grief. He went away sorrowfully. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, remember here, Jesus is not saying it is impossible. He says it is hard. If coming to Christ means turning away from my lifestyle, it's not easy when you are rich. 
This doesn't mean that the rich and the poor have different means of coming to Jesus Christ. We all come to him empty-handed. But if you have wealth, it's not as easy. That's why in countries where people are more self-sufficient, where they are all set, in a place where people feel that they are good, they think they don't need God. While in other countries where people are suffering and struggling, they are finding it easy to turn to God for help. Because their conditions makes them realize that they are insufficient. Let me tell you why we have it easy in the United States. We can control the temperature in our cars and in our houses. We have winter clothes and summer clothes. Right now, you are thinking of your winter clothes, you know? That you can't wait for winter so that you can... I mean, it's been months since I used them. We have stuff in storage that we no longer need. Have you wondered how many storage facilities we have here? What is it that we store? <laughs> and pay for it, right? And some of the stuff we actually bought on credit. And we don't even use. We dump a lot of food every day. I'm... I'm there's one part that I've never understood about the culture here, where you go to a restaurant, you order your food, and then you just eat a little bit and leave the rest there. Why did you just order a little bit? Hmm? <laughs> I, I have never understood that. One of the things we teach our children is, you have to finish what is in your plate. Because there are people in this world that have nothing to eat. You can't play with food if you believe that God has provided it for you. And when you come to our house for dinner, we will tell you the same thing. <laughs> yeah, those that have come, they know. We tell them, with love. You will have to finish what you put in your plate. If you don't, you are going to carry it with you. We will kindly pack it for you. Do you know that uh, 25,000 people die every day from hunger? 25,000. You should stop saying you are starving just because you didn't have lunch. 
Do you know that 689 million people live below $1.90 a day? That's more. That's, that's less than a cup of coffee. A day. 689 people. Like I said earlier, this passage is not about a concern for the poor. It is about surrendering all we have to Jesus. The disciples in verse 24 were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed. Do you know why they were more amazed? Because richness was supposed to show that this person believes in God even more. We talk of the gospel of health and wealth right now, but it was there even the time of Jesus Christ. Wealthy people were considered closer to God than others. And so when Jesus is saying it's easier for a camel than a rich man, it amazed the disciples even more. And they started whispering to each other, who then can be saved? If, if this is the case, who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Eternal life is found in Jesus alone. Alone. We cannot find it anywhere else. We can't buy it. We can't sell it. There is only one name. And Jesus repeated this truth in John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40. When he was talking to the Pharisees and the scribes, he said in John chapter 5, John chapter 5, 39 and 40 said, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus is telling the scribes and the Pharisees, if you are going to read the scriptures, those scriptures are going to point you to me. And he is telling the, the rich young ruler to sell everything, give it to the poor, and follow him. When the rich young ruler turns away sorrowfully in grief and walks away from Jesus, the same person that came running 
The same person that fell on his knees asking, begging, is now walking away sorrowfully because of his wealth. His walking away reveals that he is unwilling to submit to Jesus Christ. His walking away reveals that he wants to continue living for himself. Let me give you two lessons here. Two lessons that are are very important for us this morning. Number one, our possessions, our possessions, our possessions can become an idol that stops us from having a relationship with Jesus Christ. What we have accumulated, what we have, can become an idol that stops us from having a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are not yet a Christian, Whatever you have can be the reason why you don't want to turn to Jesus Christ. These are, sometimes it's a lifestyle. If I turn to Jesus, I'll have to turn away from this. If I give my life to Jesus, I will have to stop this. And sometimes when we consider all that, it becomes so difficult for us to allow Jesus to take over. See, when Jesus is telling this young man, go and sell everything, Jesus is also telling him that I must be everything in your life. And, and, you know, may, maybe Jesus wasn't even really demanding that he sells. Maybe he wanted to see his willingness. He wanted him to show that he is truly willing to submit to him. Because Jesus wants us to realize that every, there is nothing that can be compared to our relationship with him. And nothing should come between that relationship. If you are here and Jesus is not your savior, ask yourself, what is it that is stopping you from submitting to him? From turning to him? From allowing him to take over? Jesus is not looking to visit. He wants to move in. He's not a guest. He moves in. And when he moves in, he doesn't stay in the guest room. He wants to be in every room. He wants to take over. He is 
the Lord. And when he comes into our lives, he comes in as our Savior and Lord. He doesn't come in as a Savior and then we accept him as Lord. He comes in in full. Our possessions can become an idol that stops us from having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Here is number two for those who are saved, those who are born again, those that confesses that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Our possessions, if not used to honor God, can hinder us from enjoying our relationship with Jesus Christ. So for the lost person, there can be a hindrance into having a relationship with Jesus. But for the saved, they deprive you of the joy and peace that you need to enjoy in the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. Because sometimes even Christians are tempted to focus so much on what they have. Forgetting that all that we have is what God has given us. And as, a, as Christians, we should take joy in using what God has given us for his glory. See, that's why Christians are givers. Those that have realized that what I have is what God has given me are generous. Those that think that what they have belongs to them, it is by their own means and their own strength and their own wisdom that they have will want to keep more to accumulate. They think that they will find their peace and their joy in their possessions. And they end up missing that peace and that joy that they need to have in the relationship that they have with Jesus Christ. And so we look at this and we, like the disciples, we are amazed. See, God allows us to have what we have. And like I said, we have it easy here. We have more church buildings than people in those buildings. We have more than what we need. In fact, compared to other places, each one of us here is rich. And so this passage is actually speaking to you and me. But no one will go to heaven because they are poor. And no one will fail to go to heaven because they are rich. It all comes down to our submission to Jesus Christ. We can't buy salvation. And what is impossible to us 
it is possible with God. You, you have been witnessing to your friends and to your relatives. You've been witnessing to your neighbors. And, and sometimes it feels like you are failing. May this be an encouragement to you. That what is impossible to you is possible with God. And when you realize that what is impossible with you is possible with God, it changes. It changes your perspective. You will continue to witness. You will continue to pray. You will, you will keep on doing what you know God wants you to do. Because in the end, it's about him. It's about what he can do. And he can do the impossible. I have, I have a friend that I pray for. I have brothers and sisters that I pray that they may turn to the Lord. And at times I will witness to them. And sometimes their responses are very discouraging. But I have to remind myself that I cannot do it. I wish I could get hold of their hands and pull them to Christ, but I can't do it. And some of us feel the same about our children and our grandchildren. As a grandfather, a grandmother, sometimes you may feel like you wish you could get hold of your granddaughter and your grandson and bring them to Christ, but you know that it is not possible with you. Here is an encouragement. It is possible with God. And you just need to look at God. Turn to him. Turn to Christ. And pray. Because when we admit our need and that we are truly lost, God does the impossible. And if you are listening to us either online or you are here and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, you should know right now that if you turn to him and admit that you, you are lost, you are hopeless without him. Jesus is willing to receive you. He's willing to forgive you. And then he will begin to transform you. It is possible with him. I'm going to finish this with a one person I see in the Bible, very different from the rich ruler. His name is Zacchaeus. He was rich too. And he was a sinner, a tax collector. Everyone hated him. They hated tax collectors because they collected more than what they needed to collect. Because they needed to pay themselves. And so they were wealthy but lonely. And this Zacchaeus had heard about Jesus, probably what Jesus had, had done and how loving he was. And even though he was a rich man and he was a sinner, he wanted to see Jesus. And one day he, was, he heard that Jesus was coming and, and he, he woke up early in the morning and he wanted to be among the people who would see Jesus. But he, 
he was also short. But that was not the problem. The problem is, or was, because people hated him, every time he came, wanted to, to see Jesus, they would push him away. You know, they, they didn't want to give him a chance because they hated tax collectors. He tried and tried and he couldn't. And then he realized, Jesus is going to pass there. And the Bible says he ran ahead and climbed a tree. And when he was on that tree, Zacchaeus was the tallest person around. But that's not what I'm talking about. Jesus came, he saw Zacchaeus, and he asked him. He called his name and said, Zacchaeus, come down. That was a command. Jesus was not making a suggestion. Zacchaeus came down and Jesus invited himself to his house. And Zacchaeus received him. Without Jesus telling him anything, when Zacchaeus found Jesus, after he had been found by Jesus, everything changed. He began to speak himself. Suddenly he said, I am going to pay everyone four times. Everyone that I cheated, you are going to receive it four times. And then he says, in half of my wealth, I'm going to give it to the poor. Jesus didn't have to ask him to do it. He just realized, I have found the one. Everything else I was running to, everything I was running for is meaningless to me now that I have Jesus. He realized that I am richer now than I was without Jesus. The presence of Jesus in Zacchaeus' life changed Zacchaeus' life. Where are you in this? How do you see yourself with all that God has allowed you to have. How do you see yourself? Will you say that I honor God with what he has given me? As a Christian, I'm speaking to Christians here. How do you see yourself? And for those who don't know the Lord, again, what is it that is stopping you? Because, my friend, once you find this Jesus, you will realize that he is the best. And if you've been trying to do it yourself, surrender it to him. Because what is impossible with you is possible with him. Please pray with me. 
Father, I want to thank you again for this morning and for your people and for your word. I thank you for your faithfulness and what you have in store for us. I pray that your Holy Spirit may make this message more applicable to each one of us so that, Father, as we submit to you, we may also encourage others to do the same and that you may be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.